This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Mira Sivisodhi. So Health and Living segment and it's Friday. Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist in the studio with me. Just about fixing his mic. Okay, there you go, George. Right. Maybe you want to move um, to the next. Uh, hold on a sec. No, no, no. That's fine. Okay, <laughs> we're having some mic issues here. Absolutely. How are you, George? I'm good. I'm feeling excited. And today's show. It's the first Friday of November. I know. So every time November comes, okay, all that um, you know fuss about um, Pink October. <laughs> we move on to Movember. Yeah, Mustache <laughs> November, right? Oh dear. So could you remember the first time? I don't see time? anything growing. I know. That's <laughs> what you said to me four years ago. Okay, but it's only been five days. That's right. Okay, okay. well, six. <laughs> <laughs> do we I'm know, counting. Do we know when men actually have mustaches? Why men actually have mustaches, Why? George? Why? Chinese men don't have mustaches. No, but there is a reason for that. Um, is that there right? are some, uh, you know, some some races and all of that who have, um, you know, a different facial hair growth. Um, your capability of growing facial hair um, is not equal. All right. Okay. <laughs> so some men are more equal than others, in other words. Yes, I think right. Asian, Africans, but then again, Asian really depends who, which, which, which yeah, part so, of Asia well, you're coming from. When you go to India, like everybody <laughs> ah, has moustaches. Yes, we don't so have a problem now. That's right. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like I have certain um, doctors uh, in, at Glen Eagles are mm-hmm. doing the Movember thing. And they all kind of look at all the Chinese doctors trying to grow it. You know, you don't really <laughs> see much happening. Oh, well, it is, it is, well, not to forget the reason that yeah. you actually start growing a moustache. It's to get conversations going. Absolutely. About Do you remember health? the very first time we kind of brought this to the radar, you know, in, at uh, BFM? It was Richard, wasn't it, who Absolutely. actually started it? Richard Bradbury. We That's hadn't right. heard of Movember. That's right. And then, you know, Richard kind of went through it and we all thought, oh, is this your thing, Richard? And then eventually we realized that this if. In fact, um, uh, actually was set up in, uh, initially in, uh, uh, in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back to the history of this, actually, Movember movement, the word Movember was created in Adelaide. And it was in a pub and a few people got together ha- helping to rescue pets, abandoned pets in RSPCA. And then basically they say growing a whisker for the whiskers. Mm-hmm. So trying to rescue pets. And it's like, you know, it started with that. And five years later, uh, I think in 1999, um, uh, basically, uh, oh, 2004, and then a group of men in uh, Melbourne, 30 men decided to grow beard for 30 days for awareness of mental health problems and prostate cancer. So that's how they started a movement like that. Believe it or not, in 2012, they raised something like 94 million US dollars. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And within within a decade, they kind of like um, spearheaded headed into the top 100 NGO of the world. You know, George, you deal with men's health issues. That's right. There's always this, um, uh, everybody who feels that money's not coming their way for research. Mm. Um, Women's health, I think breast cancer gets a whole lot of money. Breast cancer, HIV, and then, you know, um, and even mental health are getting a lot more. But men's health tends to kind of take a back seat and then, you know, for many, many reasons, really. And partly it's because men themselves are not too proactive in this. And then uh, also partly it's, it's just such a taboo subject to talk about male cancer, really. But then has that changed over the years that you've become a urologist? 
psychologist? Uh, well, to be honest with you, four years ago, you know, it's hard pressed to kind of like even discuss this. You know, the whole moustache thing, people just look at me and say, oh, look, you look a bit pervy, really. <laughs> kind of look at that. And then, you know, we have come to a show like this. Four years ago, you told me that, you know, six days down the line, you haven't grown much. And then, you know, 28 days down the line, you know, haven't it, really grown. It was grown. visible. It, it was, was visible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a little bit of makeup as well that I put on. <laughs> you didn't tell me that. But, you know, last week I took the kids to watch, um, you know, Bridge of Spies, you know. And in fact, um, before the movie started, Magna uh, had this campaign with uh, Miss Malaysia, Miss Universe Malaysia, kind of talking about prostate cancer examination, testicular cancer, kind of awareness. I'm really quite impressed. I think, you know, in a very conservative environment in Malaysia, we really have kind of like a Miss Malaysia talking about it. And then, you know, it's quite, quite extraordinary. What do you think? Do you think the women should be talking about it more or should it be the men? Well, actually, I think both. You know, I, I genuinely think that um, issues like, uh, I think people who, um, uh, like, you know, the Angelina Jolie effect, whenever you have someone like Angelina Jolie kind of like a, have a breast cancer um, treatment, and then many people will feel like this is quite a common condition. Even famous people face it. And then, you know, for me in urology and also in prostate cancer is the Li Shenlong effect. And then because whenever you see a picture of Li Shenlong meeting dignitaries kind of like two days after his surgery, was doing Skyping and then was actually uh, back at work and actually had it done during Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. This year, it's a real taboo to, to have an operation during Chinese New Year. Really? And then for Li Absolutely, because you know, during Chinese New Year, we all take break because nobody goes to hospital because right. you know, is it because it's your own during Chinese New Year? And I thought that that um, applied only during the Ghost Festival. Well, yeah, yeah. So those so are there the are, two are many t- periods <laughs> in which the Chinese don't go to the hospital. <laughs> absolutely, any excuses not to go to hospitals, right? Ghost months, fifteen <laughs> days, don't go to hospital. Chinese New Year, fifteen days. Don't it's go. either. Not too on, then you go there and you might meet some uh, something that is dirty and then might actually catch on. Uh, so kind of, uh, you know, uh, Do you bad believe luck. in it? Do I believe in it? Well, I work there. I don't have a choice. I have to but go to hospital. But then it's not you. No. You're treating the people. If you right. had to undergo surgery during Chinese New Year, would you? Uh, well, actually, going to um, the hospital during Chinese New Year is the best time because there's no waiting list. You know, during but that would time. you, George? Well, yeah. You know, so I, I don't see any problem at all. In fact, that is a time when if I need to have like you know minor procedures, that is the best time to recuperate because workload is less during that month. And if I need to have any minor orthopedics procedures, it will be perfect for me to do it during Chinese New Year. And Therefore, the whole Li Shenlong effect was quite phenomenal, you know, to have a prostate cancer, to have it uh, checked, to have it removed, so publicly talked about it. And then people come forward and actually say, I want to uh, do the Li Shenlong thing and then actually have myself checked out. I also want to have a biopsy. I also want to have a robotic surgery to have the prostate cancer. Really? Mm. You're not making this up, are you? I'm not making this up. And then also, Men have the, actually come forward because of Li Shenlong? Well, it, they, people come forward. Um, the strange things about men is that 
they will have. I'm happy you admit that. Absolutely. So many, many strange <laughs> things about men, but one of the strange things about men uh, is actually having a abnormal PSA, right? Abnormal PSA. We talked about this. Is persistent stress and anxiety. So if you have a PSA of six point one two, right? Okay, and you're constantly thinking. You read all sorts of paper. You go online, and people say how bad PSA is because it's not accurate. So you may not have cancer. So you look at that uh, statistics, and you say, okay, I fall. Into that statistics because it is not cancer. I'm not cancerous. It's, it's not cancer. It's not happening to me. However, you hold on to that with a lot of anxiety. You worry about it. You want to see doctor. You don't want to see doctors. And then I have a lot of men who come forward and say, Li Shenglong's PSA was 4.2, mine is 6.1. Should I do something about it? And then at least they come forward. And then we give a benefit of our assessment to see whether the PSA has gone up, whether the PSA, their uh, examination, their rectal examination, show any suspicions, whether they're on any medication that can push up or pull down the PSA. Then we give them an idea whether they should go for the biopsy or not. And then that that gives them a lot of ease to say that you know we can compare it to. Someone who is quite famous, who actually eventually overcome two cancers, and this is his second cancer at age of sixty-two, and that effect truly is quite phenomenal. And I'm not making this up. Okay, <laughs> as far as <laughs> prostate cancer is concerned, George. Um, oh, before I forget, our phone lines are open. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about prostate cancer or testicular cancer, uh, uh, yeah, give us a call. The number zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can tweet BFM Radio or text zero one six two zero one nine thousand. Well, just to give you a quick background, uh, um, testicular cancer affects very Young men, mm. um, anytime from the age of what, 18, 19, 18 20, to 40 years 40, old. That's and right. then prostate cancer becomes of concern uh, in At the older age. men. That's in the, right. Yeah. And um, anything you want to know, really, um, testicular cancer, think of um, Lance Armstrong. Um, Absolutely. He's, he's one example, um, very young individual. Um, of course, PSAs think your father, uh, grandfather, that kind of a generation. That's right. You're assuming that most people who listen to the shows are younger ones, no, right? it's both. It's right? both, it's that's it's, right. I'm okay. a testicular for the younger people. And so if you have a question, just um, uh, call us 0377109000. You were saying just now about, um, I cut you short. It's all right, okay. <laughs> um, prostate cancer. You know, over the years that you have actually been dealing with prostate cancer, George, we've done a show on Da Vinci and this mm. robotic surgery and all of that. Mm. Have there been any other developments over the years? Oh, phenomenal amount of development. I mean, many people kind of say, look, you know, the PSA is always very, very bad. And then we are moving away from the PSA checkings. You know, there are other ways of making this a little bit more accurate, like PCA3. And also in the future, we're going to have genetic mapping to find out whether you're at risk or not. So the BRCA scenario will come in quite uh, quite close to that and then for people to assess them. However, when, when you know, people People just Google treatment of prostate cancer. You realize that there's quite a huge explosion of modern technologies. Let's deal with surgery. You know, for somebody who has got low, uh, kind of like early stage, stage one cancer, for example. You know, let's let's use uh, Li Shenglong's uh, situation. We call it stage one organ confined disease. So Da Vinci 
if you actually look at uh, in the last two decades, you know, in somewhere like USA, to start off with, they may have about 15 um, Da Vinci's, but now they have thousands and thousands of Da Vinci's. They do about 10 to 15 per day in the center. You know, that is quite uh, phenomenal. And countries like um, South Korea, and then some trees, uh, countries like, uh, you know, Hong Kong, and then they build that up very, very quickly. In Malaysia, we're stagnating at three at the moment, and two of them are not working that well at the oh, moment. No. It's out of date. Why? So, well, part of this is because the um, the actual machines actually advance quite quickly. So, you know, the old style, the old generations of ours in uh, in Malaysia had become obsolete. So you need to constantly keep updated from how many arms it just increases its technology, its um, uh, kind of like visualizations and becomes more acute and then, you know, its access and then it can visualize the nerve rather well and those are the advancements that has occurred and then so da vinci it keeps moving with time and in malaysia it's probably just boiled down to cost because in order to catch up with that technology it's difficult but we still have it but it's expensive all three machines in government um, there are two in uh, the government sector one in general hospital kuala lumpur and the other one in kuching and then the other one in the private hospital in kalang valley so it is accessible but one thing that interesting is that yesterday i did a talk about this you know in in conjunction with the movember magna talking about um the prostate cancer and testicular cancer one of the things that worries me is that although we may have the technology to um, remove the cancer, but many people may not have the resources to deal with it, and that worries me a little bit. Therefore, you know, the, the advancements of medicine and also technology has gone quite ahead. And then, so are we keeping up financially to deal with that? Is a question I would like to ask Clang Valley. And who should foot the bill? Early on, you asked me a great question about the advancement. Okay, I'll give you some examples of what else is available in Malaysia. So um, one of the ways to deal with uh, organ-confined prostate cancer is something called brachytherapy. Essentially, if you imagine that the cancer itself is confined inside the prostate and we put seeds of radiation into the prostate so that it constantly irradiates radiation in order to kill off the cancer cells within the prostate itself. Brachytherapy is kind of a state-of-the-art technology for men who don't want to lose their prostate, who wants to preserve some degree of sexual functions, and then that will be ideal. We have that. It's available. We can get the seeds from abroad. Another example which would be perfect will be cryotherapy. So for men, let's say in a... a age, what are you freezing? Yeah, you're freezing. Okay, you're freezing the actual prostate itself. Remember we get John, uh, you know, John Green, that one of the uh, Americans doctors who came over yes. to actually do that. You know, he talked about popsicles. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yes, not the most pleasant picture in relation right. to the prostate. Popsicles. <laughs> so you, you imagine that the prostate comes in the forms of like lollipops and that yes. sort of thing. Essentially, it's like that. It's what you do, you freeze it. That's right. So what you imagine that the cancer itself is, can be visualized with MRI scan. And then we have all these metallic uh, uh, needles that goes to the precisions of where the cancer is and then actually freeze it and thaw it. Freeze it and thaw it. With multiple cycles like that, it will kill off the tissues that contains cancer and preserve the tissues that are healthy. And isn't that amazing? And Absolutely. we have that in Malaysia. We do. That's right. Okay. So the other things that we have in Malaysia will be something that people will talk about, such as targeted therapy, like cyber knife. 
You know, CyberKnife is available in Malaysia. Other form of technology is available. It will be like high for high intensity focus. You know, um, you know therapy of ablations and also radio ablative therapy and all these we have available. And one thing that worries about it is that whenever re- people realize that these are the technologies available, however, they may not have the resources to deal with that. And also, we may not have the resources to keep up with the technology. So who, pays, so who pays for all of this is really the question. Mm. Of course, first thing that comes to mind is insurance companies. Oh, but right. there are many <laughs> gaps in <laughs> policies right. that you buy as well. Um, we'll come back and find out more up next. Um, It'll be interesting like to, to hear about yes. what the client value thinks what do about you feel? who You've been in this dilemma as to who should actually foot this bill. Um, the, the technology is there, but if you can't afford it, what's the use, mm-hmm. right? Um, so give us a call. The number is 0377109000. Tweet BFM Radio or text 0162019000. The oil and gas sector may be facing a downturn, but there are still opportunities to be found, including the mega-sized rapid project in Pengerang, Johor. KK Lim, president of Technip Asia Pacific, discusses why KL continues to be a destination of choice to grow its business. You know, Technip has been here for since 1982, and uh, we've grown from them, uh, grown from that time. We've got uh, two advanced deep water vessels based in Malaysia, so it is really is a center of uh, high technology deep water development, including execution of the, uh, the first floating LNG for Petronas that's done up entirely out of Kuala Download the podcast by logging on to bfm.my and search for Talent Matters to listen to the whole series. This is brought to you by Talent Corp Malaysia. Selaras dengan peningkatan kes denggi sejak kebelakangan ini, Kementerian Kesihatan Malaysia menjemput orang ramai menyertai program gotong royong peringkat kebangsaan 2015 di Kampung Sungai Kayu Aradamansara pada Ahad 8 November mulai jam 7.30 pagi. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM. 89.9. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Mira Sivasothi. It's our Movember show. We're kicking off um, the shows with Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist. Um, if you're wondering what Movember is, well, it is Men's Health Awareness Month in mm. the month of November. Um, and we call it Movember because it was a movement that started in Australia where men start to grow a moustache. Um, and the reason for that is you, you, you start um, growing that moustache to actually try and have or create meaningful conversations regarding regarding male cancer awareness by stirring the curiosity of maybe family, friends and colleagues with, you know, the growing of your facial hair. And ultimately, of course, at the end of the month, you shave it off. Um, because <laughs> well, some people shave it off for charity. You know, kind of you have a major shave off and then you kind of raise money for it. Mira, what's also, your view on, on that? Or do you think after four years of, you know, um, knowing about Movember, do you think in a Malaysian setting, this is something, you know, my wife always thinks that this is very, you know, this is very Caucasian thing. This is very Western. It's like, you know, in Asian culture, not necessarily working, but, you know, okay la, you know, you might raise a little bit of cash for charity. What's your view on that? I don't know. She has a point, but I suppose trying anything um, helps towards some kind of awareness, right? Mm. If you ask me, we should try and um, 
probably come up with a method. We love our food. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so to come up with a way in which we can start conversations around food, yeah. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> I'm not sure. That's what we absolutely you know, love. Yesterday, I, I did. We don't I, really go to the pub and, you know. Well, right, yeah, no, we're not really never. kind of like, you know, no. pub, but kind of like a whiskers or, or you know, whiskers <laughs> for whiskers or, you know, the moustache thing is not it's, really it's Malaysian not, yeah, thing, it's right? It's not the, the, uh, a huge part of our culture. Yeah, well, I mean, yesterday when I was asked this question, um, you know, why is, um, why are, female kind of like um, health campaigns like breast cancer, pink ribbon day, cervical cancer, and then they're so successful. And male cancer, it's really, really quite backwards. And in fact, cancer in general, the campaign is actually not so prominent. Why do you think that's the case? Because men's men's brains are wired differently from the women. I mean, the women are happy to talk when you talk about um, cancer survivors coming forward and sharing their stories. And, you know, women are happy to share um, with you guys. It's, um, well... It's an, it's an ego thing, George. I mean, you, you don't you really want so? to talk. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, you know, I don't know. You tell me. Well, well, actually, you know, yesterday I tried to answer in two ways. I, I kind of thought that um, cancer is not a very sexy subject. No, it isn't. Right, okay. It never will be. It never will be. But the thing is that how do women make it sexy? But because we talk about it? Yeah. Well, is it because it is so um, common? And is it because you, when you start talking about prevalence, like you have statistics like, you know, one in five people, one in six people, and that sort of thing, does it make it more easy to talk about? Why do you need statistics for prostate cancer? Well, why? Most men are going to die with prostate cancer. That's right. Well, right? Yeah. So... So that is a very good kind of like statistics. Like, you know, one in six are going to be affected by prostate cancer. So affected means that you have the diagnosis, you have the um, disease actually affect you in a sense that it's made, uh, made, uh, the diagnosis is made and operation has been done or spread of the cancer that actually has affected you. So you're right that, you know, most men, if you live long enough, you're going to get prostate cancer. However, what is really the big dilemma at the moment is how do we tease out the ones who are going to die of prostate cancer rather than die with prostate cancer? And and we have a phenomenal large number of men will end up with that uh, that scenario. I think sometimes it's lack of certainty also gives you an excuse to hide behind the fact that you could not be the group that has that aggressive cancer. I mean, it's, it's just like that, you know, um, you know, uh, the PSA of 6.1 uh, gentlemen, right? Exactly. You're right, because when you go- look at Google, lack of certainty actually say that this can be the reason why I don't have to act on it because so many people acted on it and it really didn't turn out to be cancer. Exactly. I, think, I think that's a great observation. So for an example, pro- the prostate cancer dilemma is what they call it. If early detection against the disease has little effects on survival rates, and can render you impotent, is it worth getting tested in the first place? That's right. What do you uh, think? Well, it, it is true. See, uncertainty Uncertainty. Again. The other uncertainty, even if you get the cancer, it doesn't mean that you always need the treatment because there are many people, if the cancer is not so aggressive, you don't get the treatment. But it's a catch-22 situation. If we don't have enough people who come forward, then we will never know or understand the natural history of the cancer. So 
when we have more and more people coming forward and more funding in order to study this particular cancer, then we can tease out who are the one who's going to benefit from the surgery and who are the one who are not going to benefit from surgery. And in fact, there are a lot of advancement in that area. And that it, in, it is quite sad that because of awareness is so lacking and also research funding is less. And then, so we are stagnating about 20 years behind women's uh, cancer. So for the sake of mankind, I suggest all of you gentlemen actually go and get yourself tested because at least in terms of data, we will have it. Right? <laughs> so contribution towards scientific breakthrough. And the future mankind. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> That's you a know, good point. Just a very basic question. What's the function of the prostate again? Right, okay. So if you imagine that the prostate... Uh, provides, um, well, let's start from beginning. Yeah, Many people don't know what prostate is and they don't really know where, where prostate is. Okay, let's start from beginning. If you imagine where you urinate from, where the bladder is storing the reservoir of your urine and the urine will have to go through a, a tube to get out of your body through the penis. And between the penis and also the bladder, there is one gland. That gland shares the functions of urethra, where the a conduit of a urine going through, and also secretions of semen. So if the semen contains, let's say, 5 mils of liquid, and out of that 5 mils, 90% comes from prostate. The prostate creates secretions that will nourish the sperm, so the sperm can swim as actively as possible, and also protect the sperm from being damaged. And that is the function of prostate. So technically, it's reproductive in its function. When men grows older, that function continue to be active. And then, however, men's reproductive role kind of diminished and that prostate continued to grow. And for some men with age, with genetic uh, problems such as BRCA genes, and those cells transform to become prostate cancer. And that is the kind of like, in a nutshell, what is prostate, where is prostate, and why does it turn cancerous? There are many, many studies to look at, apart from genes, it's our lifestyles because when you look at the kind of like um, uh, Eastern lifestyle without too much of Westernization, without the, all the MACDs and all that thing, and then majority of prostate remains very benign in nature, which is an enlarged age-related enlargement. However, when there's a lot of exposure to um, meat, animal fat, and then that will transform the cells and a higher risk of cancerous changes. And that is kind of like a, the main aspects of why do prostate turn cancerous. Okay, all right then. Were you afraid when the WHO came out to say that red meat does in fact contribute towards cancer? Oh, well, it doesn't take a genius to work that out I because know. we knew that for a long time ago. Especially in relation to colorectal cancer. That's right. You know, because you know, you, we, when you eat a lot of meat and then your bowel has to work harder in order to do that, it doesn't make a w work out, uh, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work that out. And then also it doesn't take a genius to work out that, um, you know, when you are, your body is exposed to too much meat and also processed meat, which is what WHO's data show, then it is... It's very obvious that those processed meat contains chemicals that may transform the uh, the cause mutagenesis in mm -hmm. the prostate. But I like the uh, article because it does it does say 
that the meat has a role in our diet. Um, mm-hmm. They're not asking you to eliminate it. Well, completely. because they they're trying to avoid lawsuits <laughs> from <laughs> no, because there is a role. Um, they're not. Saying everyone Thank should goodness be. goodness for that, because <laughs> otherwise, you know, we will be advocated to be vegans from now on. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but you will. We, you know. ha- we, we will both have a problem, um, but there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I think a balanced diet is what you should go towards. So um, we were discussing insurance just now. That's right. George, I mean, do, do people come to you and want to do a prostate surgery and find that, you know, in terms of funding, they don't really have it? Then what do they do? Well... And the reason I ask you is this. I just met Dr. Patricia Gomez, um, a consultant breast surgeon, yes. over, over the last couple of days. And she was giving me some interesting scenarios as far as breast cancer is concerned and where insurance doesn't cover. That's right. Um, for an example, reconstruction of the breast is not covered. Were you surprised? Because it's considered aesthetics. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, we go, because insurance companies probably plays a role in order to... Um, Denying as many claims as possible because, you know, you need to be backed up. It's just like Herceptin when it first came out, right? Okay, nice guideline kind of say, well, Which not is a quite drug for... for the breast cancer, mm-hmm. you know, when it first came out. And then, you know, nice guideline kind of say, well, hang on a minute, it's not proven. Well, because you will have an explosion of people wanting the treatment. And it's similar with prostate cancer. Earlier on, we talked about all these technologies. So the government, the regulatory bodies, the insurance company, the resource providers, the stakeholders, the first thing they'll say, put on the brake first to actually say, hang on a minute, we haven't got enough data. So therefore, we need time. But when time is um, you know, waiting, many people are deprived of that. So now, Da Vinci is the gold standard. And there are some companies who are still denying patients. And then so a lot of patients have to take it out of their pocket or wait for the actual procedures itself. And what is the reason? What is the reason for denying claims for um, using for robotic surgery? Well, robotic surgery is the gold standard in many countries, but you can always argue that well, it may be gold standard in other countries, but there's no data to back it up in certain countries that it is a gold standard. Like yet. ours. Yes, that's right. So because they, they, they know sometimes it takes time in order to see more and more data. And then, so that, that will be one scenario. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another scenario. Earlier on, you asked me about advancement in prostate cancer because obviously listeners out there may be very, very interested in what happened if the cancer is presented late. And many scenarios in Malaysian setting, we do have that. We do, it, it's a luxury to be presented in stage 1 or stage 2 cancer. However, many men may present themselves in a cancer that already has metastasized under those scenarios, the first thing we do is deprive the men of testosterone because the testosterone feeds the enlargement of the prostate. But this is a suppressive therapy. It will actually be palliative in nature for a period between three to two to three years. And eventually, the tumor will recur. And during that time... There are a lot of advancements recently. There are targeted therapy in order to deal with this. So there are a lot of drugs. Guess what? They are expensive. Of course. Yeah. And then when the drug first came out, everyone's excited. When we look at the, we look at the figures, our jaws will drop to the floor because we're talking about 15,000, 20,000 fi- uh, 
per month. How do you know patients cope? Well, exactly. And it's like, you know, I, I'm, I, I would like to highlight that many, many drug companies, they do help. They do help in providing cheaper versions. Like, for example, if it's working, you buy three, you get one for free. And then, or for example, for um, another medications that is for uh, kidney cancers. So if we assess your family situation, your financial situation, we'll give you rebates for the next one. And they are kind. They are trying this because it's just like HIV drugs. This is a drug that's crucial. However, it may not be sufficient for many, many families. I don't think I can afford that, you know, 20,000 a month for many, many years to come. So in a UK setting, and then that also becomes a problem, becomes an issue. So when I watched the campaign that was highlighted on um, uh, the TV adverts to talk about, you know, prostate cancer, testicular cancer awareness, it is good that we have men coming forward. However, to some degree, we also need to be prepared for the eventuality of what do you do if you get cancer uh, assessment that actually it turns out to be the cancer being diagnosed. What do you do? What would you like to be... Um, how do you like to be treated with? And also whether you've got enough resources for treatment. So I really think that is something that is important to consider. Planning needs to be done when you're young? Yeah, well, I think... Especially for the men? Yes. You know, that will conveniently take us into testicular cancer because when you're young, you always think that you're invincible, right? Okay. However, testicular cancer proves otherwise because... Genuinely, I think planning for future, apart from saving for your uh, for your you know wedding, for your holiday, your bucket list, your family mortgage, I think is crucially important. Some degree of saving has to be for your health as well. Okay, and should we start lobbying for insurance companies to? Recognize and you know push for more rights. Actually, I, I, because I really you're paying think premiums. many many insurance company already set up all sorts of K, uh, bespoke kind of like requirement for many people. It's just a matter of you know when do you start thinking about insurance for your own health? You know some people even don't have health insurance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so that is a very crucial thing to think about because. Although we bring up awareness, it's good that people kind of grow moustache, talk about, um, you know, um, kind of like a prostate cancer, testicular cancer. But it's also crucial to realize that you have to start young, act young, keep healthy and also save some, um, you know, some money for rainy days. Absolutely. We'll come back and find out more about testicular cancer. We haven't gone through that in just Absolutely. a short while. After the Brewster Market Update on BFM 89.9. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Mira Sivasodhi. It's the month of November and we are sort of um, you know, bringing about greater awareness as far as men's health is concerned. Um, well, for those of you who want to start growing a moustache, go ahead and do that. Right. Um, you may just have people asking you, what is that moustache for? And you can start that conversation about awareness on men's health. Mm. Um, and uh, well, what are you going to say, um, George? I mean, for somebody who's not sure <laughs> how to start this conversation. So, have you gone for a PSA test? That's right. No. What's a PSA test? You're um, right, okay. Well, I mean, no, how do you some even people get talking about this? Yeah, well, you know, when, when people ask me, you know, um, why are you growing moustache? And I kind of say it's for charity. And then they will say, oh, what charity is this? Men's health. Then this year, they're focusing on prostate cancer and also on testicular cancer. And people say, oh, how morbid talking about cancer. And I kind of say, well, actually, it is not at all. It is quite high tech. It's got lots and lots of all these kind of like gadgets and then, and then you know, conveniently talk about, you know, 
the Singapore Prime Ministers and that sort of thing. And then, like, you know, we, today... We've spent 45 minutes talking about <laughs> prostate cancer. And it, it's, like, it's difficult to believe that, you know, how much you can talk about it. Because even though with the complexity of uncertainty and a PSA, uh, you know, inaccuracy, and that can generate conversation, because at least you have it tested. Yeah, and go get, yeah, go get checked. Um, you know, yeah. there's nothing wrong Amira, with that. I'm interested in your view. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we, we've, early on we talked about, you know, all these things cost money because, you know, like 50000 for a robotic surgery, for example. So, like, you know, who do you think should fund this? Insurance companies. Yeah? What happens if you're not insured? Well, either we have insurance companies or we need, and I've said this a million times, we need to rehaul our healthcare system. Rehaul in what sense? Because it's not sustainable anymore. Yes. I think we should all start paying towards some kind of a Medicare system, which is tailored for Malaysia. Mm. Um, we can't um, you know, cut and paste a system that works anywhere else in yeah. the world because we already have an existing system. How do you work around it? How do you make it more feasible for people to have access to quality health care, be it state, government or private. If so, the current situation, right? So if somebody presented to my clinic and then actually uh, has got a diagnosis of prostate cancer and then, you know, with um, long waiting list in a government hospital for the Da Vinci, who do you think should pay for this? I mean, it should be the, the children if this person is not insured because it's always easy to retrospectively think that I should have insured myself. Well, savings, EPF, I don't know. Does, can you take up money from EPF? I'm yeah. not sure. Um, government, um, your children. I don't, I've always been very um, against burdening your children. Yeah. So you really need to plan financially. And also, for increasingly, we have people live uh, longer. Yes. And then we have less children. <laughs> so you have less children to pay for things And now. our children will have their families to look after yeah. and their own health to look after going forward. Um, so... You it's know a you difficult really, situation, really isn't it? You really got to live. Um, and, and, and I face this every day with people saying, what, this amount? Let us go back and have a family conference. And then, you know, when people talk about it, they realize that it's not just that payment because it will be downtime from work. It will be follow-on treatment, follow-up. There will be maybe chemotherapy afterwards. So it is something that we tend not to talk about and can be quite costly. And let's, okay, let's just say this is the older man. Um, what about the younger man who's um, uh, sort of diagnosed with testicular cancer? Mm. I mean, he's in his productive years. Absolutely. He's got many, many years ahead of him. Mm. So, you know, let's, let's talk let's about, do, talk testicular, about testicular, testicular cancer. cancer. I mean, it's okay. the most preventable cancer, George. It is the most treatable, treatable curable I apologize. cancer. It's the yes. most curable cancer mm-hmm. in the world. Okay, there are three things that excites me about uh, testicular cancer. Right, you know, there are many things that excites me about <laughs> testicular cancer. But three things. Number one is that this is when men suddenly realize that what is happening to someone who's 18 to 35 or 45? You know, because suddenly you realize that you're also vulnerable because the young men who take risk, who, you know, enjoy life and suddenly realize that this is the time where they are also vulnerable. Who's at risk, George? Who's at risk? If you just Google testicular cancer celebrity, you realize that they're all sportsmen. You know, it's interesting. It's this interesting concept. It's like nobody understands why. And then many rugby players, many golfers, cyclists, and then, you know, people who are really successful in sporting activities get testicular cancer, which is quite a, uh, you know, rare, uh, strange kind of concept. 
But the real people are who uh, who are susceptible. If you're born with testicle that hasn't descended, you know, let's say for example you're a premature baby, and then your testicle is stuck in the inguinal canal or stuck in your abdomen, and you are at risk. You're fifty times more likely to develop testicular cancer. But what I like to tell my young patient is that anybody who's at risk. So the first thing that excites me is that they suddenly realize that it is a condition that can affect young people. So start preparing your health at young age. That's the first thing. The second thing that excites me is because it gives men some degree of responsibilities. Because your health is your own responsibility. You eat well, you live well, and that sort of thing is your own responsibility. So self-examinations, it's a key part in this. What are you looking for? Right. Okay. So. Most people would imagine cancer is painful. So they will come in there and say, Doctor, I've got this lump in my testicle and it's not even painful. It cannot be cancer, right? Wrong, because cancer, a uh, testicular pa- uh, lump that is painless is cancer until proven otherwise. So essentially, irregular, hard feeling, rock feeling, uh, nodular feeling, testicle that feels like it doesn't belong to your body, it's completely painless, it's cancer until proven otherwise as long as you are in the age group of 18 to 40. And that is a fact. Okay, so what's a consultation like? If, I were, if you know, somebody were to come in and say, look, um, I feel something's not right, what do you start? Okay. How do you start diagnosing? Right, okay. So um, first thing I do is that we, we examine the, child, uh, the, the person, right? Okay, so basically you touch the uh, testicle. If it feels smooth and non-nodular, and then it's actually on the side of the testicle, it is completely benign. It is quite common to have cysts in the testicle, so reassurance. However, it feels nodular. The first thing we do is an ultrasound scan. And then we tell the patient, look, I'm going to mention the C word, don't be alarmed because this is a most curable cancer. Obviously, the earlier we see you, the earlier, the higher chance that uh, the cure rate we're talking about here. What's the treatment? The treatment is very simple. We actually remove the testicle first. And then we sent off the testicle for analysis. And that will tell us whether this is a seminoma or teratoma. These are the two types of germ cells tumor. And the older guys will have a, a seminoma. The younger guys will have a non-seminomatous germ cell tumor, which is mostly called teratoma. And the key thing is that both of them are very sensitive to either chemotherapy or radiotherapy. So we're talking about cure. And the breakthrough came when the chemotherapy that contains platinum was discovered. And this was discovered at Royal Marston Hospital in London. Platinum itself sounds expensive. Absolutely. But the chemotherapy is not expensive because it's platinum-based chemotherapy and that will cure the uh, condition up to 97%. Therefore, it is the most curable cancer. And it's easiest to detect because your testicles are actually hanging out of your, you know, um, away from your core body and it's easy to feel it. It's just like breast examination. It's just not have to to do that. Unlike the prostate. Absolutely. Um, obviously, the most famous guy who had uh, testicular cancer is Lance Armstrong. Of course. But Lance Armstrong actually, at the age of 25, had a testicle that was so big that he could hardly walk and it is metastasized to his brain. 
and he's still living. And he's still living. He won Tour de France seven times, right? Okay, that's questionable, but we won't go into that. Right, okay, right, okay. But, well, he's he's still living, and then he's fathered many children, right? Exactly. How many wives does he have? I don't know. Cheryl Crow and (laughs) and so on? I'm not keeping count. You're not keeping count. You You don't watch E Channel, do you? No, no. No. Why on earth? George, I know it's like, you know sometimes you just stole the, the whole dentist. world. You watch Channel oh, so, so, sure. oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> well, sometimes I waiting for the dentist. I kind of flip through yes, Hello sure. Magazine no, a sure. <laughs> <laughs> You said something which I think men listening at that point would have been. Gosh, oh, I don't want to lose a testicle. What are mm. the consequences of that? Okay, losing a testicle doesn't mean you kind of walk lopsided, really. Because most people kind of think it's horrific because losing a testicle means that, you know, uh, men will think that you lose your fertility, you lose your erectile function, you lose your sexual function. Wrong, because the other testicle is functioning equally well. It will protect you for a long time to come. And many, many men survive your your. Life expectancy is not compromised once you have the treatment. So losing a testicle, some people worry about that. We have fake ones. We have prostheses that we'll put in there in order to give you that security that you need. Okay. Um, we're running out of time, George. Um, how would you like to conclude? And, and, and insurance comes, I mean, cost comes into the picture with testicular cancer as well. Is that as pressing as it is for prostate cancer? Probably not. Because, you know, although chemotherapy can be costly, however, this is such a priority uh, curable cancer that we can just, um, you know, um, um, kind of jump cue you to the front of the queue, say cure you first, because it is such a pressing cancer that can be eliminated with a high success rate. You know, we have the BRCA gene test now, which, you know, some people can look at um, to, to, to assess your um, risks of um, prostate cancer. But what about, do you think we would be able to predict testicular cancer? Oh, absolutely. I, because, you know, we're looking forward to, um, you know, Dr. Um, Arif coming in to yes. talk to... On talk the last to, Friday of Last November. Friday. So mm-hmm. you've got quite a lot of things that will gear up for yes, us, Yes, absolutely. Right? I'll go through that. Right, so absolutely. So, you know, in, indeed, there are genetics, um, kind of fragileness, you know, in the Y chromosome, but that may predispose people to that. And therefore, you know, the advancements, the real advancements of male cancer actually will come with genetic testing. I'm looking forward to hearing what um, Dr. Arif has got to talk about it. But one thing that scares me is that whenever you have all these tests tested, right, okay, then you are alre- you already know where you stand in the future. And then to get insurance from that point onwards, mm. it's not going to be easy, is it? It's a double That's right. Is that what you say? So, so load yourself up with a lot of insurance first before you do that. <laughs> so I'm going to ask Arif about that because it is something that you know exactly where it's at. It's just like BRCA genes. You know, many people want to test that. And it, but there will be consequences because once you know, you already know how we're interested. And I'm quite like to ask him about the implications when it comes to ethics of it. What happened if your employers find out about it? What are your risks in the future? And how are you going to do that? Because, you know, I watched that movie uh, Still Alice. It's about, you know, Julianne Moore having these genes that will, um, that got her into the Alzheimer's kind of like a scenario. And it's hereditary. And the family had this debate to see whether they want to know, they want to know the children, whether they want to know or not. And I really think that is the biggest dilemma whenever it comes to genetic testing. I'm looking forward to hearing. Absolutely. And um, 
Arif show, 27th of November, so make that date with us. We're going to look at genes and men's health. And men's cancer. Yep. Yeah. So next week, the 13th of November, we're going to have Dr. Philip George, our consultant psychiatrist, in to discuss um, mental health in middle-aged men. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, on the, that's me, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, he's coming in with you. That's right. And the 20th, which is also a Friday, we will be discussing um, fertility with right. Dr. Prashant Nadkani, oh, wow. who's a fertility specialist. Fantastic. So our month of November is all sorted out, so join us and find out more about um, your health um, men out there. Um, very quickly, um, I think we have a couple of seconds, George. Um, a question here, slow urine flow, is this an indication of prostate cancer? No. Okay, it may mimic the prostate cancer because of slow flow, uh, you know, incomplete emptying and waking up at night may mimic early sign of prostate cancer, but 90% of the time, this is a benign enlargement of aging prostate. So, you know, uh, don't worry. But it can be, though. Just get yourself checked out by your doctor. Your message. My message is I'm really pleased that, you know, um, four years down the line since the stations kind of picked us up. And then I really think that it's quite uh, nice to know that the awareness of male cancer is there. And I think we've still got a long way to go yet. But, you know... It's okay because, you know, wearing, um, uh, kind of growing the moustache and then bringing the awareness like that is all a bit of fun. On top of that, brings down the taboo of discussing very, very embarrassing subjects of cancer. I hope your moustache is more visible next Friday, George. <laughs> You're monitoring it. Thank you for joining us. Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist. In our first show kicking off the month of November on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.